It's good to be with you all this morning. We are continuing our series on the attributes of God titled Our Glorious God. Uh, last week, Pastor Myrel introduced us to the first attribute under the category of God's greatness. We've, uh, we're dividing the attributes of God in the two categories attributes of greatness and attributes of goodness. You can see that layout in your handout. If you didn't get a handout, they're available in the back of the room. Uh, But Myra opened up on the attributes of greatness last week and looked at God's independence, his self-existence, his self-sufficiency, the fact that nothing has caused God to exist or that nothing sustains God's existence. He, He simply is. That was the first attribute of greatness that we're touching on in this series. And this morning, we're going to continue to a second attribute of God's greatness. That is the attribute of God's immutability. God's immutability. In this study, we are covering many attributes of God as they are revealed in his word. Scripture presents God's attributes, his promises, his plan, his purposes. But that revelation of God was given thousands of years ago. The question before us as we look to the topic of immutability this morning is, why do God's attributes, which were presented to a different people in a different culture, in a different era of history, why do those attributes matter to us? Now you may say that the answer to that is because Scripture is inerrant, and you'd be partially correct. The problem is that scripture was inerrant thousands of years ago when it was written. But as we know, things change. In any other course of study, there is nothing more important than the most current and updated literature. If I want to see the state of the world, I don't look at a newspaper from 2010. I pull up a constantly updating, trusted news site because we live in an ever-changing world. Analysis of the world in 2010 may have been correct then, but it doesn't mean that it's a correct analysis of the world today. If I want to see what I look like, I don't look at a picture from three weeks ago. I look in the mirror because my question is not, was I presentable then? The question is, am I presentable now? So we are running to scripture to study various attributes of God, but the question before us is, why do those matter to us? The doctrine that we are studying today answers that question, and that is the doctrine of immutability. Immutability. Let's define it. I've given you a definition taken from Wayne Grudem's systematic theology at the top of the second point. It says this, God is unchanging in his being, perfections, purposes, and promises. Yet, God does act and feel emotions, and he acts and feels differently in response to different situations. I love that definition by Wayne Grudem. We're going to be breaking that down as we look to rightly understand uh, what the doctrine of immutability is. Let's look at the first part of that definition first. Immutability means that God does not change in his being, perfections, purposes, or promises. Those four words are key in rightly understanding the immutability of God. His his being, God's being is is simply his, his essence, who God is. The doctrine of immutability means that who God is does not change. His essential being, it it remains forever the same. This definition also lists God's perfections. Perfections are another word for God's attributes. God's attributes do not change. What describes him is forever the same. 
His being remains forever the same. His perfections or his attributes remain forever the same. This definition also lists his purposes. God's will does not change. His intentions, his perfect plan, his sovereign will, it remains the same. And lastly, this definition lists God's promises flowing from God's intentions, flowing from his will. His promises are unchanging. He does not go back on his word. His word is forever true. So the immutability of God means that God does not change. Specifically, he remains the same. He is constant in his being, his perfections, his purposes, and his promises. Now, this is an attribute, again, an attribute of greatness. It's a demonstration of a way that God is completely unlike you and I. We, we all change in in many ways, progressively over the course of our lives, our, our appearance changes. When I was teaching this topic to our high school ministries, I put uh, a picture of their pastor, me, when I was 10 years old. And, and they laughed hysterically at the difference between uh, 10-year-old Adam, who had a, a buzz cut and bangs, interesting haircut when I was 10 years old, buzz cut and bangs. And, and, then, and then they're seeing the, the current version of Adam. Our appearance changes, thank God, our thoughts change, our desires change, our abilities change. They develop and they grow or sometimes they lessen. We are creatures that are constantly changing. In fact, we, we can't even imagine creatures that, that don't change. Even the most permanent things we can imagine in this world are changing. We'll see that in God's word in a few minutes. There should be no expectation that we become like God in this way as we grow in our maturity. We do not become less changing as we mature, as we are sanctified. In fact, the very process of sanctification requires change. It requires mutability. The doctrine of immutability is that God does not change in his, in his being and his perfections and his purposes and his promises. That being said, the doctrine of immutability can be prone to misunderstanding. There's two ways that I want to talk about this morning that we can understand this doctrine of immutability wrongly, again, as we seek to rightly define this doctrine in our minds. The first would be the view, this is, this is listed in your handout under errant understandings of God's immutability, the view that God is stagnant or inactive because he is immutable. Because the statement that God does not change can be twisted wrongly to mean that God is immobile or, or stagnant, that God is, is inactive. However, that is a, that's a logical conclusion that we draw from the statement that God does not change. It's not a biblical presentation of God. God is presented in his word as active, as dynamic, even as responsive to man. But in God's actions and in his responses, he does not change. Now, this was articulated in the definition that I gave you uh, at, the, at the top of your handout. Immutability does not mean that God does not act, that God does not feel, or that God does not respond to different situations. Let me illustrate this for a minute. Is God forgiving? Yes, God is forgiving. It is part of his nature. Does God's unchanging, forgiving nature mean that every person receives equally of God's forgiveness? No, of course not. God's forgiveness is extended to those who believe the gospel. 
But the fact that our experience of forgiveness is contingent upon our belief does not mean that his forgiveness is changing. It means that God acts and responds in accordance with his unchanging nature. When he forgives, he does so in accordance with his nature. When he condemns, he does so in accordance with his unchanging nature. An unchanging God does not mean that God does nothing. So let's make sure that we understand the doctrine of immutability correctly. It does not teach that God is stagnant or inactive. Another uh, warning and an errant understanding of God's immutability falls under the category of open theism. Open theism is a theological attempt to reconcile and explain God's foreknowledge of the events of history with man's so-called free will. And open theism promotes the latter, man's so-called free will, at the expense of the former, claiming that man has complete control of his own destiny and decisions. Therefore, God cannot have knowledge of the future. Now, the linchpin in the argument for open theism is a handful of texts where God seems to learn something or to change his mind or to regret his actions because of unforeseen consequences. They would argue that because God changes his mind and because he changes his plans, he does not have foreknowledge. Now, among other things, that attacks the immutability of God. We're going to talk about those texts a little bit later because we do need to answer that question. But scripture makes clear that that line of thinking is wrong. God does not change in his being, in his perfections, in his promises, or in his plans. Now, for the next few minutes, I want to prove that to you by looking at the third point in your handout and looking at biblical affirmations of our definition of of immutability. So first, I want to look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. This is perhaps the most direct and succinct statement of God's immutability. So we're going to start here and launch from there into more nuances. The last book in your Old Testament, I'll just be here for a moment. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. God says this. I, the Lord, do not change. I, the Lord, do not change. That is our starting point in the doctrine of immutability. God does not change. Now we have to explain that and define that carefully in accordance with other texts and scriptures, but but that's the starting point. God does not change. Scripture shows many angles of this immutability of God. And we're going to start working through these in your handout. We'll, we'll move fairly quickly through these. The first statement, God does not change, flowing directly from Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. The second statement under biblical affirmations of immutability is that his constancy is eternal. His constancy is eternal. Psalm 102, verses 5 through 7. We'll be looking at various texts. You're welcome to follow along. I will be reading these. You don't have to turn to them. Psalm 102, verses 5 through 7. In this text, God is going to be compared to the earth and to the heavens. The earth and the heavens are some of the most constant and steadfast things that we can imagine. We have looked to the heavens and seen the same constellations for thousands of years. But in light of the seeming permanence of the creation that is all around us. In Psalm 102, verses 5 through 7, we read this. Sorry, verses 25 through 27. Of old you founded the earth, 
and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. All of them will wear out like a garment and like clothing, you will change them and they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will not come to an end. The psalmist says, the earth, the heavens, these things that seemingly are constant and unchanging, they, they perish, but you, God, endure. They wear out like a garment. He says specifically, they will be changed. Changed like someone just changes their clothes. But verse 27 says, while they will be changed, you are the same. That's the contrast. They change, but you are the same and your years will not come to an end. The emphasis there is on the eternality of God's constancy. He is forever the same, eternally constant. Interestingly, in Hebrews chapter one, the author of Hebrews quotes these exact verses from Psalm 102, but he applies them directly to the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is eternally constant. He does not change. And that's reiterated in chapter 13 of the book of Hebrews. We're told that Jesus Christ is immutable, that verse eight of Hebrews 13, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So this doctrine of immutability is applied across the Trinity. Again, notice the, the timing emphasis here. He's, he's eternally constant. His immutability is not just for seasons. He remains the same for a season. It's, it's permanent. It's constant. His constancy is eternal. Let's look at another angle of the immutability of God. He does not change. His constancy is eternal. A third point, he does not change specifically in his character he does not change specifically in his character. I want to show you a familiar text in Lamentations chapter 3. Lamentations chapter 3. This is one of the more well-known texts in your Old Testament. We read this, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3 verses 22 and 23 zero in on the loving kindness of God. This is a specific statement about God's character. God's loving kindness is, is one of his attributes. In this text, the emphasis is that that loving kindness, that attribute of God, it does not change. He has, it's described in verse 22 as unceasing loving kindness. It doesn't run out. There isn't going to be a day where God stops being gracious. There may be people who don't feel his grace because of their decisions, but it's not because he ceases to be gracious. His loving kindness is unending. It never fails. God's character, it does not change. His, his attributes don't come and go. His compassions never fail. 
Lamentations, he says, every, every morning when I wake up, his, his mercies are new. That newness of mercy is not, is not a change in God. It's that every day when I come to a new day, when I change, I wake up and, and mercies are still there. They're, they're new every morning. With every day, your unchanging mercy continues to pour out. God's character is unchanging. Let me show you another angle of this in the book of James. James chapter 1, verse 17. In James chapter 1, verse 17, James writes this. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. The emphasis of this text is that God's, God, is, God is kind. His kindness is demonstrated in the giving of good gifts to men. We're told every good gift comes from God. It's, all, it's from heaven. It comes down from heaven from the Father of lights. That is the source of every good gift. But amidst the concern that God's exercise of kindness and goodness may not last forever, James adds a comment at the end of this statement that God is the one who gives good gifts. He says that the giver of good gifts does not have any variation in the Father of lights, there is no variation and there is no shifting shadow. The next verse says that God, in whom there is no variation, in whom there is no shifting shadow, has called us forth into salvation. He gives the, the good gift of calling us forth and he does not change. He will not cease to be kind. He will not cease to be good. He gives good gifts and he will not change. God's character is unchanging. Isaiah 54 verse 10 says it this way, the mountains may be removed, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. The mountains may move, the hills may shake, but my loving kindness does not change. Let's look at another angle. God does not change in his character. The other side of your handout, we have the statement, he does not change in his purposes. He does not change in his purposes. We're going to look at Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. In Isaiah chapter 46, God is comparing himself to idols that men are worshiping. He's contrasting himself against earthly idols. He says this in Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 11. Remember the former things long past. I am God and there is no other. I am God, and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established, and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. It's an authoritative statement about the fact that God's purposes, his plan, his will, it does not change. He says, my purpose will be established. I will accomplish all of my good pleasure. I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. I will do it. Do you hear the, the permanence in those statements? If God wills it, it will not change. He doesn't change his purposes. There's no one who can thwart them. 
because he's God and there is no other. He contrasts himself to human idols by establishing that when he wills something, it cannot be undone. Thus he says, there is no other God like me. Unlike any other God, his purposes are always accomplished. We have all benefited from the permanency of God's purposes from a salvific standpoint. Listen to the words of Romans 11, verse 29. Paul writes this, the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. The gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now in Romans 11, he's speaking of the promises of God to his people. Paul Paul tells us that if God has set his love on someone and called them forth, it's permanent. It's permanent. His purposes cannot be abandoned. For the same reason, those whom God has saved cannot lose their salvation because he he doesn't change his purposes. What he has willed is always accomplished. He does not change his character. He does not change his purposes. Let's look at uh, the fifth point under this uh, biblical understanding of the doctrine of immutability. Number five, he does not change his word. He does not change his word. We're going to look back at Numbers chapter 23. Numbers chapter 23. The scene in Numbers 23 is the story of the prophet Balaam. The king of Moab in this scene essentially tries to hire Balaam to pronounce a curse on the people of Israel. And Balaam says, God has not given me that message can't proclaim that because that's not the message that God has given me. So Balak, the king of Moab, says, let's, let's, let's try this. They go to another hill. They offer another sacrifice to God. And Balak says, go again to God and see if he'll give you a message of a curse that you can pronounce on Israel. So the Lord comes to Balaam after they offer this sacrifice, and he tells him to return to Balak and to say these words. Numbers chapter 23, verses 18 and 19. Then he, Balaam, took up his discourse and he says this, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. He has, has he said and will not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not make it good? Balaam's message to Balak is that if God has pronounced blessing, he will bless. He cannot change his word. He doesn't lie. He doesn't recant his promises. Balaam says, what God says is what he does. Understand that God does not change his word. In verse 20, Balaam says, when he, God, has blessed, I cannot revoke it. Because what God says, he does. He does not change his word. Lastly, God does not change his mind. This is related to the previous statement, but it's a nuance that scripture draws that's worth placing our attention on. A few few books later in 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel is, the prophet Samuel is telling Saul that the kingdom is being taken away from him because of his sin. Saul pleads with Samuel, essentially asking for a change of pronouncement. 
He, please, he won't let him go. He's ripping his, his cloak as Samuel's trying to leave his presence. And in, first chance, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 29, we read these words from Samuel to Saul. The glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. That's an explicit statement from God's word, that the glory of Israel, that is God, he does not change his mind. If he has determined something, his, and, it, and it aligns with his purposes, aligns with his plans, he does not change his mind. Specifically, again, we see this attribute of greatness in which this is an incommunicable attribute. He's not a man. Our minds change regularly. But, the same, but, but Samuel says to Saul, Saul, God's not like you. He doesn't change his mind. That's his response as Saul is begging for a, a different message from Samuel. So, God does not change. I believe Scripture clearly establishes from so many different angles that our God is constant. We could talk about other ways to defend the doctrine of immutability. Ultimately, our doctrine is going to flow from the verses that we've looked at. I do think that the other attributes of God necessitate immutability. If God is, as we're going to see next week, if he's outside of time, if God knows everything, if God is all-powerful, how could his purposes change? If God only speaks the truth, if he cannot lie, and if he's sovereign, how could his promises change? If God is perfect, and if he is good, and if he is faithful, how could his attributes change? I believe that all of these come together to demonstrate that we do have a God who does not change in his being and in his, in his perfections and his purposes and in his promises. However, we're going to move on to the next section in your handouts. There are several texts that we need to acknowledge, that we need to rightly wrap our minds around, because there are some texts that seem to teach otherwise in line with what we've said thus far. We need to acknowledge that there are some texts that seem to indicate that God does change his mind or his intentions. First of all, there's some texts where we're told that God regrets a previous action. In Genesis 6, we're told that the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth. That certainly sounds like a change of mind or a change of purpose. Regarding in the chapter we're in right now, in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we read that God says, I regret that I have made Saul king. There's also texts where God doesn't execute an action that he says he's going to do. In Exodus 32, God says that he's going to destroy the Israelites. Moses prays and asks God not to do it, citing God's previous promises. And in Genesis 32, verse 14, we read this. The Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. Similarly, in the book of Jonah, God says that he will destroy the Ninevites, the Ninevites in 40 days. But when they repent, we're told that he relented concerning the calamity which he declared he would bring. And he did not do it. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. All right, so what do we do with these texts? There's, there's, there's two options on the table. Either there's a way for us to reconcile these in our minds or scripture is not inerrant because there's, it's understandable that someone would look at this and say, all right, you cited in 1 Samuel 15, the Lord does not change his mind. And we read in other texts that he does change his mind. I do think that there's a way to reconcile these texts. There's two things that I wanna emphasize. I don't think there's a one size fits all answer to every one of these texts. The first thing that I wanna draw your attention to I want you to note that all of these scenarios in which it appears that God changes his mind, all of these are narrative texts. All of these are narrative texts. 
They are stories, texts in which the storyline is progressively unfolding. In stories, events change and events progress. The reason that that this matters is because there are many stories in Scripture where man's sin may place him in a category where God's punishment is directed at him. Take the Ninevites, for example. God says to Jonah, 40 days and I will destroy them. And Jonah takes that message and he proclaims it to the Ninevites. So at that moment in the story, at that moment in the story, our understanding of God's purposes and intentions is that Nineveh will be destroyed because of their sin. But when man responds to such a statement with repentance, he places himself in a category in which God's grace and favor is now directed at him. So Jonah 3 says that when Nineveh repented of their sin, that God relented concerning what he had said. Now, did God change his mind or did God change his plan? Not at all. What changes in this story is actually man. At the beginning of the narrative, it appeared that Nineveh would be destroyed because of what God said, but God responded to their change with grace, which was part of his plan all along. Why did God send Jonah in the first place? In fact, after God forgives Nineveh, what Jonah complains about to God is actually his immutability. He says, I knew you would do this. I knew you would forgive them because you're always so gracious. He says, you've been gracious to the repentant in the past. I knew you would still be gracious to the repentant today. You hear what's going on there? Jonah was actually hoping that God would change, but he didn't. God isn't the one who changed. He remained the same, gracious to the repentant. The statement that they would be they would be destroyed in 40 days was a snapshot of a revelation of God's plan, but the story was unfolding. God's actions and attitudes and emotions are presented in scripture as responsive to humanity. Someone said that attacks the doctrine of immutability, but let's look to what God's word says. Is God pleased when we obey? Yes. Is God grieved when we sin? Yes. Is that a change in God? No, it's, it, it's a change in his action and in his attitude towards us, but those responses flow from his unchanging character. God's mind is unchanging. His will is unchanging, but our experience of his plan is progressively unfolding. So let's first interpret those texts in light of that reality, that in those narratives, there's an unfolding of the story in which we may receive a snapshot of a statement of God that's revealing his plan and yet not the fullness of it. The reality is that there is almost always contingency in what God has said. If you obey me, there is blessing. He told the Israelites, if you disobey me, there is pain. There is curse. God is not changing, but there's contingency in that promise based on how the Israelites move forward. Another thing for us to be aware of in light of these texts that seemingly place a a contradiction under the category of immutability is that some of these texts are explaining complex divine action in human terms. Some of these texts are explaining complex divine action in human terms. When we as humans take one course of action, 
and then abandon that course of action and do something different. There is always an acknowledgement that either we, we made a mistake and that's why we changed our plans or we had a change in desires or that there was a better option we didn't consider or, or something along those lines. There's an internal change within us that leads to a different course of action. In doing so, when we make a change in direction, there's acknowledgement of mistake, of regret, of errors, etc. God often makes a change in a course of action. That change is explained to us as resulting from God's displeasure at the current state of events. It's like in, in Genesis, when we read that God was sorry that he had made man or, or displeased with the fact that Saul was king. Let's dive into one of those. Take the flood, for example. When we are told that God regretted putting man on the earth, let's ask, first of all, how can God know the future, be sovereign over it, and yet regret an action? This shouldn't be interpreted as God, th th these texts should rather be interpreted as God's displeasure over man's sinfulness. It saddens him. The fact that God is sorry, that he's saddened, that he's regretful, all of these are driving home the same message that God was not pleased with the state of the earth which he created. But that doesn't mean that what occurred does not fall under his plan. These texts describe God's displeasure with human action, with terms of sorrow or regret, but that doesn't mean that God was changing. It's an explanation of divine action in human terms. God is punishing sin. God's displeasure with Sin and God's sorrow over the extent of man's depravity is expressed with terms of regret. That shouldn't be interpreted as a change in God's character or promises. It's a change in action that aligns with God's character and promises. Remember that God is outside of time. He's not learning what is happening moment by moment like we are. We'll have more on that next week. As a narrative progresses, God sending a flood is not a change of plan. It's a change of events that fall under God's plan. An omniscient, wise, and sovereign God cannot regret anything. All right, well, quickly, let's move on to the final section of your handout where we seek to apply the doctrine of immutability. There's so much that flows from this doctrine, much to think on here. First of all, let's simplify just to three right now. Praise the unchanging God. Praise the unchanging God. I didn't read the entirety of Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 when we first encountered it, but I want to read you that whole verse now because this attribute of greatness in God should drive us to our knees. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6 says this, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Because God doesn't change, we are not destroyed. <laughs> the attribute of God's unchangeability is something that should cause us to be amazed, to wonder, to worship. This is such a precious attribute of God because if he could change, we would find a way to move into his permanent displeasure. But he doesn't. He doesn't change. And that's why we're not consumed. That's why we're not destroyed. We should praise God for not changing. There are ways that we, that we do this. One of them is in the song. I love the song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. This is a song that lifts high, the doctrine of immutability. Listen to these familiar words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is 
This is James 1.17. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not. Thy compassions, they fail not. As thou has been, thou forever will be. It's immutability, yes? Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. Praise the unchanging God. Second, trust the unchanging God. The doctrine of immutability drives us to trust God fully. We find ourselves ever suspicious with how other people may change, not trusting, worrying if someone will keep their word, will they do what they've said, will they have a change of heart, etc. There is no such experience with God. He does not change, and therefore, we can trust Him. I have a quote at the bottom of your handout from A.W. Pink on the attributes of God. I'm going to read that. It's a precious quote. Herein is solid comfort. Human nature cannot be relied upon, but God can. How unsta- however unstable I may be, however fickle my friends may prove, God changes not. If he varied as we do, if he willed one thing today and another tomorrow, if he were controlled by caprice, who could confide in him? But all praise to his glorious name, he is ever the same. His purpose is fixed. His will is stable. His word is sure. Here then is a rock on which we may fix our feet while the mighty torrent is sweeping away everything around us. Trust the unchanging God. He is a rock upon which we can stand. If he could change, we could not trust him. Not not with the fullness to which scripture calls us to trust him, but he will not change. He cannot change. We can never trust him. Lastly, cling to the promises of God. Cling to the promises of God. Because God does not change his plans, because God does not change his word and his character, we can cling to every word which he has spoken. This this drives us to a, a trust in God's word and a clinging to God's word. In Hebrews chapter 6, the author is speaking about how God kept his promises and keeps his promises to Abraham. It says that God made an oath with Abraham and that it's impossible for God to lie. There's his immutability again. He can't lie. He can't change an oath that he has made. I want you to listen to the application for us in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. The author of Hebrews says this, because it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil. What the author of Hebrews just said is that our hope, this anchor for our soul, is tied to the fact that God does not change his promises, that we can cling to him, that we can hope in him because it's impossible for him to lie. And so that is the anchor for our soul. It's sure and it's steadfast and it enters within the veil because God doesn't change. God doesn't change. We can cling to the promises of God. Let's know his word and cling to it. The one who does not lie as an anchor for our soul. Praise the unchanging God. Trust the unchanging God, and cling to the promises of God. He is entirely unlike us. 
and praise him that that is so. Father, thank you for being an unchanging God, one that we can stand upon as a rock, sure and steadfast, one whom we can trust completely. Keep us amazed, amazed at the ways that you are unlike us and that you do not change. Thank you for being a God that's bigger than we can imagine and even causing us to wonder past the depths of our ability to reason. Thank you for being an unchanging God. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.